Hi, I'm currently dying, and I would like to schedule a consultation. Joining us today on Moving Radio is Riley Stearns, the writer, director, and producer of the opening film for the Calgary Underground Film Festival. That film is Duel, and it stars Karen Gillan and Aaron Paul, and you can see it Thursday, April 21st at 7 p.m. at the Globe Cinema as part of Cuff, and only in person in Calgary. Duel revolves around Karen Gillian's character, Sarah, opting for a cloning procedure after she receives a terminal diagnosis, but when she recovers, her attempts to have her clone decommissioned fail, leading to a court-mandated duel to the death. Sarah. Hi there. I'm sure you're familiar with the process. When you know you're going to die, you can have yourself cloned. You have very clean skin. I like your shirt. But life has thrown you a curveball. You're not dying anymore. The duel to the death will be in approximately one year. Wait, did you say duel to the death? Riley, maybe just to kind of give some of the uninitiated people out there a little bit of detail behind uh, what Duel is all about. Tell us about the roots of the script for this dark comedy about the character Sarah battling a clone of herself to the death after being misdiagnosed as terminally ill. The initial idea came from really just wanting to have a character act opposite themselves and came up with this idea of the there, there's an alternate reality where cloning is possible, but it's only used if you know you're going to die. You can have yourself cloned so that your family doesn't have to suffer the loss of you, which in theory should be this thing. It's like selfless, but in reality, it's, it's kind of a selfish act to say, you guys can't live without me. I'm going to do this for you. And you're stuck with something that you didn't really get a decision making, uh, a, a, a decision in. The, that I, initial idea was intriguing enough to me, but I also didn't feel like it was enough of a film. It wasn't at least a film that I would want to make. So I uh, sat with the idea a little longer and uh, asked the question, well, what would happen if this character hypothetically went into remission? And for some reason, the immediate answer that I had to that question was, well, of course you duel yourself to the death. And uh, <laughs> that really became the basis for duel. It, it was the starting point. And from that point on, it was just kind of like, I knew where the beginning, middle and end would, would fall. And I'm not saying it wrote itself because it still, it still went down roads that I had to explore and, and questions that I had to have answers for. But at that point, I knew what the movie was going to be. It's such an interesting film in a lot of ways. I mean, clearly from the first two features that you've had, uh, you have kind of a distinct tone. And a lot of people look at like, you know, uh, maybe your wheelhouse is kind of doing that darker comedy that's maybe like a little bit more dry that you are probably excited that some people don't get, but that a lot of people do, right? Let's talk about the character, Sarah, more specifically played by Karen Gillan, uh, who seems like socially physically, mentally numb at this point, kind of almost from the immediate outset of the film, even in the first scene, even when the people around her should value her the most in her final days, it seems like that's not even happening, right? It's it's like they start to gravitate towards the clone. So what kind of conversations do you and Karen have about playing this character of Sarah feeling disconnected that kind of contrasts with this idea of an, an outsider that's desperate to please, which is a clone, and her who's almost kind of feeling like, aren't we going to enjoy our last moments with me? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, with Karen, it really became this conversation of complacency, just like when you feel comfortable in life and you don't have that 
that drive to uh, better yourself or take action and actually move forward uh, in some way, shape or form, when you feel like you're just fine where you are, that can be a dangerous thing. So we had conversations about that and then how that would relate to Sarah. And in this world, like you kind of alluded to, the dialogue is stylized in the sense that people say things to each other in a very direct way. It's not really like you don't sugarcoat anything. And uh, similarly, when people say things to you in that way, it's not like you're taking offense to it. You just say, oh, that's how they feel. And so when Sarah's in her sort of hours the, before she thinks she's going to die and, and uh, it should be that time where in our world, people would take the moment to say, well, wait, maybe even if I do have like feelings about your clone and, and I think I, I like them better or whatever, in our world, they would, they would kind of look past those and, and still console and, and be there for that, that a, a real person, that real, the, the original. But in this world, again, going with the matter of fact nature of everything, they're like, well, I like this person better. So I am going to be around this person. And thank you for making this person for me. I, I think that, like you said, it's not necessarily going to be everyone's cup of tea in the way that the dialogue or the story progresses, but it's something that was incredibly interesting to me because you're taking human emotions and human connections, but you're looking at them from a completely different perspective. It also felt like there is, this is maybe one of the last things that you have control of somehow is maybe for Sarah's character looking at it as like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do maybe what seems like a selfless act, although very expensive. And, and that's kind of the funny part too, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that she's like, oh, I'm going to give this to people, right? So then maybe there's this lasting memory of me, but in so many different ways, that replacement, it almost kind of erases her more than yeah. necessarily replaces her. So I found like, I thought that was one of the more intriguing layers of it is that, you know, you want to project maybe who, what you're the best you is at this point. And that's what people do if they remember you at a funeral. But this almost just kind of like gets rid of you and puts this like slightly different version of you in place. Is that like almost kind of, I don't know, is that a fear we have of being forgotten? And maybe that's where you were coming from of like, you know, once you're gone, no one remembers really who you are. They just project who you are. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great point. And, and I guess I've, I've thought of it pseudo in that way, but I really like the way that you put it. It's it's like you're, you're creating this lasting memory of yourself, but it's a living, breathing, growing human being who's going to become a different person. So if, in a sense, it erases you. And that's uh, that, that fear of being forgotten is explored in a, in a, mon a specific monologue in the, in the film too, when the doctor tells Sarah that she is going to be dying and Sarah says, well, what are my options? She's not saying like, like, what are my death options? Like, what, what do I, what am I going to do past my death? She's saying like, how do I fix this? And the doctor literally tells her, well, no, you, you're going to have to decide now what funeral you want. And, and I think that the doctor's answer of if, if she was to die, like how would she want to be remembered? She wants to be buried because people are forced to remember her that way. Like they're forced to visit you. I, I think that that's something that is, is explored sort of like more below the surface throughout the film, but it's definitely something that I think we can all relate to. Like if you, if you were to die today, what would people remember you by? And in this world, they're remembering you by a new version of you. And is that really you? I, I love what that, what that entails and the philosophical questions that it, it raises. 
Our guest today on Moving Radio is Riley Stearns, writer and director of the film Duel. It opens the Calgary Underground Film Festival Thursday, April 21st at 7 p.m., where Riley will be in attendance for a Q&A post-screening. One of the other things that I find interesting, Riley, about you know the work that you do is, particularly with Duel here, it seems like there's almost kind of, and I don't know if you're consciously doing it, but almost a style that comes through. And I don't know if it's the writing influencing it, because I feel like there are some people that are such very specific writers that you end up watching their films and the actors almost kind of cater to what the script is. And it's not that it puts them in a corner. It just gives them a very specific world to live in. And with For Yourself, it yes, it's quirky at times, but especially with this film, I felt there's almost kind of this like there's the story, but it feels like some of the warmth is sucked out of it in some ways. And not that it's lifeless, just that it's like this cold variation of reality. Can you talk to me a little bit about, do you come from that place as be, wanting a specific tone in the way that actors are performing? Or do you look at this as like, that's just bleeding through the script and they're just kind of giving me what they're feeling, they're interpreting from it. Yeah, they definitely are, are feeding off of what I'm giving them. Like, the, obviously, the script influences it, and I'm not telling them literally on day one how to perform everything. But at a certain point, if if a line isn't working in the way that somebody is saying it, I'm going to be pretty upfront about the fact that it needs to be a specific way to work in the context of the entire movie. So there are times where Karen or Aaron or Beulah will come in and they'll deliver a line in a way that I'm not expecting. And that's really good. I'm like, oh, that works way better than I intended. But if there's ever a moment that I feel like it's not in line with where it needs to be, I have no issues just saying, hey, might try it this way because that's I, because of this, this or this. And I think that that takes real trust on the actor's end to say, even though they're way better at what they do than I am, and maybe even what I do, he, he's got the overall tone that he's got to balance and, and do the tightrope with. And so that trust is there. And then to the point where there are times where they'll literally ask for a line reading. And I always preface this with actors when I start working with them. If, if I give a line reading, it's going to be the bad version, but they're able to take that and then do their really good actory thing and make it the good version. So it's it's a by that same token, it's also it's a lot of trust on my end to say I always know that their character is going to be deep seated within them. They're going to understand where they're coming from too. And so not to say immediately, no, no, don't do it that way because it feels unnatural and it wasn't the way that I intended. Um, it's a giving and taking of of uh, ideas that is the most intriguing part of filmmaking for me and specifically that relationship with the actors. I, I love that collaborative process, but, but yes, as an overall, I have a very heavy hand in the performance. One of the relationships I enjoyed the most in the film was Karen and Aaron Paul <laughs> in the, yeah. the training sequences. I mean, they take a bit of the trailer up, but I, I, I love that it doesn't fully uh, reveal the beautiful layers between <laughs> what the, what they go through together. I found it to be this almost kind of like bizarro world, Mickey and Rocky in some ways. Yeah. For me, it's somebody watching that. That was a part that was really fun for me to watch. And I love the dynamics of that relationship. Was there a part of the film that you had the most, uh, like that you were really sinking your teeth into? You're like, oh, this is my favorite part or even the script. Or do you think that changes from the writing process, the directing process, to the editing process for you? Yeah, I mean, as an overall, if we're talking about the process itself, I would say that probably my favorite part is the edit because the really hard work is over. The edit is fun. Like you've got all the pieces and now you get to 
make sure that it fits within the way that you kind of always saw it fitting. And so uh, in, I, I love the directing process. I love being on set. I love the collaborative nature of working with the actors and the crew. I love uh, pre-production because so many things are at your disposal at that point and, and you're not tied down yet. So that's fun. And then writing, I used to kind of think that I hated, but I really have grown, especially during Duel, really grew to understand that it's while it's hard, I really enjoy the process too. In terms of this film specifically, I mean, the scene you alluded to where they're doing this sort of slow motion fight sequence, that one was one of the funnest days that we had in terms of shooting. The actor's enthusiasm specifically was what was really, really exciting that day. Both of the, both Aaron and Karen basically said that it was their favorite day of shooting that they'd had in recent memory. And I really enjoyed the shooting of the, uh, dual support group scene, which is a quieter scene. And it's it's got a lot of coverage in terms of a lot of people in it. But I really liked the monologues when and like the fact that we got to dip away from our leads for a second and hear some specific stories from the people who are either the clones or the originals and how dueling to the death might affect you post uh, the event. And I, I just like the quietness of that scene and, and the truth behind everything while still having a sense of humor, obviously. Those two scenes come to mind. There are definitely other days that were just a blast to be on set. And then there were days that were some of the hardest days I've ever had on set. So as an overall, I would say that this was probably the smoothest shoot that we've had, which again, is saying a lot because we shot during COVID. I definitely enjoyed the process. I mean, you alluded to the fact that, you know, you love getting into the edit at the point and not just because it's the end, because it's really where all the pieces of the puzzle come together. So you work with Sarah Beth Shapiro on this film and other projects as well. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the importance of relationships like that for someone like yourself uh, when you like to make uh, films that are very much driven by yourself, right? This isn't, you know, some huge projects like the ones that Karen has worked on where they're mm. just like these massive, like world-eating machines where they're yeah. expected to do all these different things. And it's millions and hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. Talk to yourself about the importance of those relationships that you create with those people behind the scenes that help craft what, you know, a Riley Stearns film is. Sure. So we'll start uh, with Sarah Beth and work our way backwards to production. But in, in terms of the edit, Sarah Beth and I have worked together now on Faults, The Art of Self-Defense, and now Duels. So three features in a row. And she'll continue to do everything that I do as long as she wants to work with me, which hopefully will be for quite some time. Uh, I hope she continues to get jobs outside of what we do because she's so good at some other things as well. But uh, I, I think what really what's really fun with Sarah Beth is that she was an assistant to the producers of, uh, or I guess worked in assistant capacity for the producers of my first feature, Faults, years prior to working on that feature. And, and they uh, suggested I meet with her. And we, I thought in the beginning, like maybe it wasn't gonna be the right pairing. And by the end of our meeting, I was just like, I really like her disposition. I like how we both are very optimistic people and are very excited people. So we didn't sit in the edit and just go like, oh, we fucked this up or that thing doesn't, doesn't work the way that we want. It's always like, this is really cool. And it's not exactly how we planned it, but now it's cool in its own way. And that's the way that we kind of go about our lives. And I, I like that we've kind of grown together and, and have learned how we work well with each other. I like that uh, she sometimes doesn't always get exactly the joke I'm going for. So then when we get to that point and then I'm, I, she sees what I'm going for, she's like, oh, that works because of this. And I know that I'm, 
I'm making it make sense to her in the moment. And so if it doesn't work ever, then I know that. And she's very honest about that. But uh, I, I, I continue, like I said, I'll continue to work with her. And then during the shoot, uh, Michael Reagan, my cinematographer, and I have now done three features as well, including a couple of shorts prior to that too. So he's the person I've worked with the most. And, and uh, I also continue want to continue to work with him. And on set, it's just nice having somebody who I'm to the point where I don't even have to say, uh, exactly what I'm thinking. And I can just say, Hey, Mike, around uh, 50 millimeter, like around here. And he knows exactly what I want. And similarly, he can make suggestions based off of our past history and know kind of like the realm of what I'm looking. And then I can be like, yep, you're absolutely right. That would be much better than I was thinking. And there's no egos there. Like neither of us comes at it from a place of being combative or argumentative and the way that we run like because on duel it was mike and me on set and then a bunch of finnish people that we hadn't really worked with before or, or hadn't worked with before and so he also had a leadership position whether he liked it or not where he's got a bunch of people underneath him and they're often asking what does riley want and mike's able to answer those questions and in a way that i feel like actually represented me i, I wouldn't say that we're like co-directors because he would definitely argue that we are not. And I, and I know that we aren't, but it's about as close to having maybe a like second director by your side at any given moment uh, as, as possible, which is, is super great to just know that you've got that support on set. Our guest today on Moving Radio is Riley Stearns, writer and director of the opening night film for the Calgary Underground Film Festival. That film is going to be screening on Thursday, April 21st at 7 p.m. at the Globe Cinema in Calgary, where Riley will be in person to do a Q&A post-film. When I was watching the film, too, I kind of felt, and maybe I'm off base here a bit, but I felt like there was a certain amount of this film trying to be maybe an allegory for depression or maybe coming out of something dark, right? Which is probably, you know, maybe what you were feeling within like the global sense at that point, too. You know, everything visually seems kind of muted. Uh, the emotions seem kind of muted at times. You know, even the characters are muted, the, you know, the sets a little bit. And it's not it's not trying to be overly flashy, even in its visual uh, tone. So I just kind of felt like I was like, wow, well, maybe this is somehow kind of talking about depression and kind of trying to come out of that and what it's like to be in the kind of middle, but trying to break out of it at that point. Was there any consideration like that for yourself or is this a, a math base, Riley? No, it's but, not that you're off base. It's, it's that I think film can be interpreted many ways. And depending on your life experiences, it might hit you in a way that maybe I didn't intend. And so that's not wrong, but I, I have been depressed in my life, but I didn't come at this movie from a place of it's a film about depression. It was a more about a film again about complacency. It's a film about somebody who's just gotten comfortable in life and, and what do they do when something comes at them that they weren't expecting and really ruffles those feathers and, and puts them in a space where they're kind of spinning. And, and I think we can all relate to that kind of moment too, whether it's a small version of it or it's a version in the movie, like where you find out you're going to die. Like there are levels there, but those same feelings of, of um, I guess, falling and trying to grasp at something to hold on to, we've all had those feelings. So that's where I was a little bit more in coming uh, at the film. And then I think post COVID, even though I wrote this thing in 2018 and came up with the initial idea in 2016, it's impossible for us to come at a film like this and watch it 
and not relate our feelings of quarantine and the loneliness and the like isolation we all felt and then see a movie that's about loneliness and isolation, but a very different kind and not kind of correlate those things together too. So it, it's not a film about COVID and it's not a film about quarantine, but I think that because of the way it feels and the fact that I had always called it a film about loneliness, uh, it's, it's impossible not to feel those COVID feelings, I think, while you're watching it. Because for me, I didn't look at it so much as that was my experience with the the entire two year process, but definitely like going through major shifts in your life. Yeah. And it kind of and it felt like that where you just kind of keep going from day to day and you just feel that that little bit of numbness and the fact that you have to suppress a lot of things, because like if I feel like if I'm going to lose control right now, then I'm just going to spiral. Right. And that's yeah. that's what I felt like kind of like Sarah was working at throughout a lot of the film. You yeah, know, she... and you talked briefly about uh, the mutedness of everything. And I think I've done yeah. that. With, this is the third movie in a row that I would say there is a understated aesthetic. And maybe that's just the way that I like the production design to be. And, and I think that it works for this world of a, a slightly removed science fiction sort of story. But even just in terms of shot design and the way that our, our two Karens, our two Sarah characters are on screen together, even though we're doing some incredibly complex science fiction sort of uh, doubling and, and having the split screens feel seamless and using motion control cameras to get that, I never wanted the audience to watch this and have to think about how we did it. So in turn, it ends up a lot of the times feeling like just a, a normal camera pan back and forth and having a character walk in and out. And each time they walk in and out, it's another Karen during another take. I don't want people to think about how we did it. I want them to just accept it as is. Whereas if you start getting too flashy with the camera moves and you get too flashy with our, our Karens interacting with each other, I think it starts in a, in a weird way taking you out of it rather than drawing you into it because the audience is then saying, oh, this is a flashy effect as opposed to just being like, this is just as normal as the rest of the shots inside the movie. Yeah, no, and you definitely get that feeling. There's, there's no like, God, what was that thing that Gemini Man where it was like all flashy accent, action yeah, stuff of it, like fighting himself. Neither did I, but I was like, yeah, like, it's one of those things where like we don't none of that. obviously very different movies, but yeah. the the idea of having some, I don't know, like the Theo, the, the opening fight in the movie. I don't think it's too much to say. I think people kind of get that it's an opening duel between two clone or a clone and a, an original. Yeah. And holding off on showing them on camera together until the last second was always the idea. There's another version of this movie where you go at it and you've got face replacement, you've got mocap and all this stuff to put them in the frame at all times, every time you can and have like somebody on top of the other person. You see both faces, but that wasn't the movie that we were making. So it's a deliberate effort to kind of pull back a little bit on that stuff, whereas some other movie may uh, confront it, uh, but also hopefully maybe having people feel a little bit more like it could be real. It definitely, it gives you that feeling for sure. I cool. I looked at it, it's kind of almost one of those things where you see that there's makeup on someone or any kind of prosthetics or something like that. And you just, you just accept that as reality. I'll tell you, Riley, that scene in the little tiny house, oh, yeah. like that was just so fluid. I, people are going to know once they see it. But that was the one where I was like, I just have like, I'm completely already bought into it. But the intimacy of them sitting there talking to each other in that little tiny play hut. <laughs> I was like, this is where you've hit it. And I'm like, I have no clue. And I don't, I don't care how it's done. It's just I'm buying it. I really appreciate that. That was a fun one and very challenging, too. And uh, I think there's a huge credit owed to uh, Karen Gillan's scene partner, 
and body double uh, that we used in the film, uh, a woman named Katerina. Uh, we shot in Finland, like I said, and she is an actress there and had no ego about, she's basically like, she ends up making a cameo in a movie within a movie inside the film, which I love that we got to put her face in the, in the film, but she's in the movie more than a lot of the other uh, characters other than Karen. It's just that you never see her face. So you're seeing a lot of over the shoulders and what you're also not seeing is that she's delivering lines back and forth with Karen and Karen's able to act off of an actual human being, another actor. And then Karen goes in and does Katerina's side and then Katerina's going and doing Karen's side for Karen. And both of them had to learn all the lines and, and Katerina, again, like egoless to be able to say, I'm gonna do all this work and then not be seen in the final project. Uh, I, I think we owe a huge debt to her and her uh, work ethic, particularly in that scene that you referenced. I think them sitting across from each other, there's a moment where they're bantering like a, almost like a tennis match. It goes back and forth and they're both on camera and it could not have worked if it didn't, if we didn't have somebody like Katarina in that position. All right. Well, before we let you go, we'd be remiss if we didn't kind of ask you a little bit about uh, what it feels like to have those kind of like, oh, man, this is the opening night film at the Calgary Underground Fil Film Festival. So that kind of feeling of knowing that it's about to get like set out into the world, your little yeah. your little baby that you've been taking care of is about all to be all grown up and you set them out. And you're also going to be there in Calgary post screening to talk about the film itself. Talk to me a little bit about what you get out of that film festival experience and being able to have your film in that kind of early process seen with audiences like this and going to Calgary and being able to check out a, a film festival that definitely uh, caters to the obscure, the odd, uh, the interesting, the slightly yeah. left of center. I mean, I've heard about Calgary forever, uh, the, the film festival, Calgary Underground. I know that the Art of Self-Defense played, but I wasn't uh, like flown out for that one. So I, I heard that it went well, but I, I wasn't there for that. And even back uh, with the Cub and, and Faults, I know that they didn't play, but like hearing about that festival, I was like, I wonder if it'll get into Calgary. And I love that city. I, I visited twice now, uh, very excited to come back. I remember the food being very good and like surprisingly so. I remember walking around just being like, man, everything I've been to is, is pretty legit. Uh, I trained jujitsu one day while I was there. I might not be able to have time to do that while I'll on their next time, uh, this time. Uh, but uh, man, I, I think, firstly, you look at the opening night films, previous Calgary Underground Film Festivals, and there, especially in the most recent years, is some pedigree there. To be alongside those names, uh, those other directors, those other films, it's a huge honor. I don't know that I deserve it. Anytime somebody puts your film in, in opening night of anything, is pretty cool, but a, a festival that appreciates a film like Duel and says that we're going to go with this as our opening night film, and then to be so kind and 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 uh, uh, like bringing me out for the festival, wanting me to actually be there, I'm very thrilled. And there have not been a lot of opportunities for me to visit to attend festivals with this movie because of COVID this year. Uh, Sundance, for example, our premiere was supposed to be an in person, and two weeks before the festival. Uh, it went uh, to virtual because of Omicron. And so I've only had a handful of screenings that I've attended. And uh, I think this will be the first actual film festival I'll attend, uh, which is uh, very exciting to say the least. I know they're excited to have you. So make sure you uh, turn out 
and uh, show Riley uh, what the film community is like out there in Calgary. No one in Edmonton will hold that against you, uh, <laughs> even though that's where I'm calling from. I, I'm sure there'll be several people from our city there as well. Look, Riley, you've been doing a day long of press. You've been working hard today. Uh, you <laughs> definitely need to go take care of yourself with some sort of uh, medicinal beverage so that you can not talk about the film anymore today and maybe yeah. talk about something else. Yeah. Maybe but talk we... about something else or not talk at all. Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, and then tomorrow, get right back to it. Uh, look, I, I joke about how it's a lot of interviews and how it's nice to, to get out and everything. I, I'm so immensely proud of this film and the fact that anybody wants to talk about it at all, I'm hugely honored. So I, I really appreciate you having me and, and I'm very, very excited to be at the festival. Our guest today on Moving Radio has been the writer and director and producer of the opening night film for the Calgary Underground Film Festival. It's Riley Stearns. That film, Duel, is starring Karen Gillan and Aaron Paul, and you can see it in person on Thursday, April 21st at 7 p.m. at the Globe Cinema in Calgary if you happen to be there. And Riley will happen to be there, too, doing a post-screening Q&A. It's all going to be fantastic. And if you don't happen to catch it there, I am sure that this is just the beginning of his journey. You're going to have several different opportunities to see Duel either in theater or on VOD. Your mental tricks aren't going to work. Taking over my life was the plan, not stealing it. This is my life. She's not going to take it from me. What are my chances? Zero. Nothing is ever absolutely certain, though this most certainly is. I really value your friendship. I'll miss that when you die. Speaking of which, any updates? 